0: you know, with this whole banquet idea, there's got to be a certain level of faith or trust in something higher than yourself, maybe, or just a trust in the order of the universe that, you know what, that plate is gonna come to me when 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 it's ready to come to me. Welcome to the Cafe Truth Podcast. Join me, your host, Kevin, as I chat with good friends and special guests to take on the mysteries of life and business chatting about everything from entrepreneurship, digital nomadship, being an expat in another country, spirituality, philosophy, coffee, and overall, living an intentional lifestyle. It's a fun and interesting conversation, so stay tuned. Howdy everyone, Kevin here, and I'm doing another series of the series I'm calling the Stoic Monologues. This is a Stoic monologue I'll be doing tonight, where I'm taking sort of a topic based on some recent passages I've read. I've read from some of these ancient ancient manuscripts, ancient books, and just kind of riffing on them and seeing if we can see what the lesson is and how do we apply that in our everyday life. I as I mentioned, as I may have mentioned in earlier episodes, I'm I'm finding that this podcast is really as much for me as it is for anyone who's interested in listening. It's a way that I get to I'm sort of forcing myself to spend consistent you know time each week practicing, absorbing, consuming some of this ancient philosophy. And so it's a motivation for me, obviously, to do that. And it's something that I see referenced a lot in these ancient teachers' recommendations. I mean, you look at Seneca, you look at Epictetus, uh, you look at Marcus Aurelius and you and others, and you see this constant, like, hey, take this seriously, especially with Epic too, as I feel like I see this a lot. Take this seriously. This is more important. The study, the practice of philosophy is more important than anything else in your life. No matter how important you think various things are in your life, politics. Family relationships, etc., work. This is the ultimate. This is the pinnacle of importance. Is to be studying philosophy, and why is that? Because it is really about the soul. It's really good for the soul. It's, it's investing in the soul and having that clear, conscious, and that that taking that right action, not. Not, in di- not too different from what maybe Buddhism teaches, right? Or Christianity or Catholicism, sect within Christianity, would teach and encourage practicing every day. Now, of course, some of the, some of the modern religions or the, the religions that we, that we practice today and follow, you know, they have their distortions. And so, um, you know, there's certainly folks that claim to be a, a Buddhist that don't pick up a single, you know, a book on it, and they they just are Buddhist by um, almost affiliation or just culture. So you could say the same for folks that are uh, part of the Catholic faith. They may not they may not be involved in those traditions. Um, I'm really talking more about the core. You know, what what was the core original recommendation of a lot of these traditions? And, and, And that would have been to practice every day, to engage, to study, and then to see how we can apply this in our life. And if you're at a monastery and you're not really out there in the world, there's plenty of opportunities to do that, I'm sure. Because you're dealing with internal politics and all that stuff, and if you're out in the world, working, um, raising a family, being in a family, etc., relationships, plenty of opportunities there. So, this is um, this is a a great opportunity for me to just study this stuff. I'm sitting here my back patio, it's a beautiful night in Phoenix. But the thing about Phoenix is it's extremely hot. It was 115 or so today. And I'm sure right now, while it's near midnight, it's probably about 103 or so. At least 100. But a cool breeze, which is pretty much a warm breeze, but it feels cool, has just started to to come in. And that's really nice right now. And the moon is above... It's a beautiful uh, beautiful night, beautiful, gorgeous moon, full moon. It's so bright. And the crickets are behind me. You can hear the crickets in the background and the sound of air conditioners. So it's, a, it's an intense place, Phoenix, especially in the summer. And right now it reminds me of... Um, the one time I lived in Rome, which was only for a few months, but it was back in 2012 when I, my wife and I were on our sort of pre-honeymoon, We, I had just quit my job, oh, I think a few weeks before my corporate job, which I was eager to get out of, and had planned to start a business, didn't really have a good plan for that, and that business eventually failed, but... We flew to Italy and found ourselves in Rome and decided to just stay there for a while. And it was the middle of summer, like it is right now, in July. And it was just scorching hot, at least for me, who had uh, grown up in California. But the humidity was insane there. And we would walk around... In the daytime, just trying to escape the the, <laughs> the heat in any way we could with very little air conditioning. As if any of you have been to Italy, even even today, it's not not a big air conditioning country. And so we'd walk into these uh, cathedrals. I remember and just I remember just feeling like, oh, this is what people did to cool down. They must have prayed a lot, gone to church, because it's the only way to cool down. Sometimes it's these beautiful. High vaulted ceilings, hundreds of feet high sometimes, and you walk in and it's just 20 degrees cooler. But it reminds me of what, you know, that kind of weather, that kind of intensity is the weather of uh, the, the former era before air conditioning, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm able to basically live in Phoenix because of air conditioning, at least that's my story. But before this amazing invention, people really uh, toughed it out and didn't really have a a reference for an alternative to that. I mean, when summer came, what was there else? You know, what else was there to do? You, most people were not going to be moving to cooler weather. Um, you toughed it out. I was even thinking about my grandmother um, earlier today because she, uh, she lived near the Arizona border for a few years with her husband in the 1940s. And again, this is before air conditioning. And just, you know, even that close of a generation, they didn't have air conditioning at that time. It just wasn't a standard thing. And they just dealt with it. And so, you know, I bring this up just to to put us in the place if you can just imagine yourself. We watch a movie of, of a couple thousand years ago, maybe it's a, a setting of Rome, and we don't really feel what that looks you know, it's easy to look at that on TV, but not feel what that's like. But it was hot, it was intense. Rome is this very humid and, and hot place and this kind of uh, forks, I guess, into our discussion today with some of the passages because I want to talk about luxuries and their you know, obviously their pros, but also their cons. Luxuries and wealth, aspirations, and what that all you know what what that all means. So I'm starting with uh, with Epictetus here and um, I'm not sure what what, what, what uh, exactly I should call this book here. Um, you know my pronunciations of these are probably not great so please excuse but I'll just kind of read out what I'm what I'm most interested in. Remember that in life, this is, this is uh, chapter 15, by the way. Remember that in life, you ought to be imagining yourself at a banquet. And you ought to behave as if you're at a banquet. Suppose that something is carried round and is opposite to you. Stretch out your hand and take a portion with decency. Suppose that it passes you. Don't detain it. Suppose that it has not yet come to you. Do not send your desire forward to it, but wait till it is opposite to you. Do so with respect to children, as with respect to spouse, with respect to magisterial offices, with respect to wealth. And you will be sometime, I would imagine you will be in sometime, a worthy partner of the banquets of the gods. And if you take none of the things which are set before you, and even despise those things, then you will not only um, not only be a fellow banqueter of the gods, but you will also be a partner with them in power. For by acting thus, Diogenes and Heraclitus and those like them were deservedly divine and were so called. It's a nice one to start with, nice little passage to start with it really gets to this concept and Stoicism of self-discipline, of resisting the temptation to indulge. That was a big one for the Stoics. And it's a big one for many traditions, many religions. All right, But it really does a beautiful job painting the picture of how we should approach all the temptations of life. And not only the temptations, but all the vast amount of luxuries that are available. There's really two ways of living. It's either the, the energy of pulling and grasping at things or it's an energy of forbearance, patience, allowance, more of a surrender. One could determine being just more chill, not being anxious. I need this. I need that. And it's extremely addictive, this notion of of wanting. Um, it's built into us very strongly. And I'm not sure if it's built into us genetically, evolutionarily, or if it's something that we're taught, or if it's something that we just kind of gain from the culture. could be that. But it's, it's a very strong pull. It's a very strong force within us, this desire to grasp at this and grasp at that. And so a couple examples... You know, this weekend—I'm sorry, this earlier this week—I should say, my family and I went uh, up to the mountains here in northern Arizona to go camping, and we haven't—I haven't gone camping in a tent for years now, just maybe four or five years. What was so interesting about it is that, you know, we have. Two cars, they're SUVs, you know, medium and the small. Nothing nothing extraordinary, nothing big. I've never owned a pickup truck in my life. Never really been interested in a pickup truck. But what happened when I got to the campsite after a day or two? Well, it's like my, you know, cave, uh, you know, tribal instincts of, of early, you know, early cave paleo-like living kicked in. It's like I, I saw my neighbors with, in their campsites with better tools. You know, they had a better uh, club or they had a, a better knife or a, you know, I'm talking figuratively like a better um, bow and arrow. And I wanted that. I wanted what they had sort of that jealousy but it's envy and not not to say I wanted theirs in particular but I wanted that for myself and so the thoughts were like oh yeah that would be you know that's what I want so I'm looking and, and, and effectively the bow and arrow is a pickup truck let's just imagine and so this is what I mean I'm, I'm walking around the campsites and every campsite has two things a beautiful brand new pickup truck and a beautiful, pretty, brand new RV connected to it, and I'm blown away by the by these pickup trucks because again, I barely pay attention to that. Barely pay attention to pickup trucks. I'm not a pickup truck kind of guy. I've never really been, and yet I was pretty astounded by how beautiful they are now. I mean, they just really got. They really put you know, Ford and Chevy and Toyota all putting these really strong, bold fronts and grills and stuff to the to the front of the vehicles. Beautiful colors, just uh, you know, I really was impressed by how, you know, how aggressive and beautiful these these trucks have come in terms of their way they look. Um and then these beautiful RVs with all these fancy features and little, you know, sh- some have little shades that, you know, awnings that come down and stuff. And here I am with my, you know, our little tent that I got from Walmart <laughs> for a deal, and uh, you know, and suddenly my SUV is not looking as, as hip and and the thing to have as I as I as it could be. Now I need a pickup truck. Now I need a pickup truck. I mean, come on! Look at that. It's beautiful, blue, bright. You know, kind of a deep. See blue there with a beautiful you know large uh, RV in the back that's what we need and suddenly my mind's turning and the wheels are spinning and I'm and I'm grasping for this how how is that happening i have never wanted these things before and now that I'm back home I have to say I haven't thought about it since I got back 3 or 4 days ago I mean it has not crossed my mind that I need a pickup truck. This is very powerful. It can happen. It happens all the time wherever we go and you can just imagine yourself and see yourself doing this throughout the day. You see your coworkers have a bigger office than you do or have an office at all and you have none. You see friends with a bigger house or a nice house in a nice neighborhood or a nice location. And you think... I want that. But how can I get that? And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with all this. Um, but it's something to check. something to be aware of and, and have awareness of. I don't I didn't punish myself or judge myself for wanting that pickup truck. I just kind of was interested and intrigued about, why do I want this? I remember when I was living in Thailand for a while, I remember walking... The downtown area of this little town, and um, I had I had been renting this little Honda um, motorbike, little scooter practically, and so it was a nice little bike, nothing fancy. I think I was paying a hundred bucks a month for it or something. It was it was kind of worn worn and uh, had had some wear on it, but it was fun. It was great. I was having a blast driving around with it. But I went down to a coffee shop in the middle of town and this kid who is younger than me pulls up to the coffee shop outside with this beautiful red um, Italian scooter Vespa. Brand new. I mean, it looked brand new. And I have never wanted Something more in my whole life it seemed. I was just, I had fallen in love. I was like, oh, this is what, I, this is what I need. It's, it's beautiful. Why does he have that? I want that. And I had dreams and imaginations of me moving back to the U.S. Of course, when I move back to the U.S., I'm gonna have to buy this Vespa. I have to buy that. Looking up prices, all the way And then of course, months later, I moved back to the US and could not find within me a single desire to get that Vespa once I moved back. It's almost like the dream of the place. You're kind of caught in a dream when you're in certain environments and it pulls you in so hard. And then you move to another environment and dissipate. So I'm not even sure they were really my desires. They were just the desires of the moment, desires of the culture, desires of the environment and we're constantly pulled around by these things. And so he's talking about how do you act when you're at this banquet? And the banquet is life, really. The banquet is me at the campsite looking at this these beautiful this row of beautiful pickup trucks, just like a a row of various beautiful dishes of desserts and savory foods and wine and grapes and all this lovely stuff from a banquet. It's the same idea. It's material, beautiful, tempting spread of things to desire. And he's challenging us, Epictetus is challenging us to say to ourselves, hold on, let me wait. Let me not grasp for the food that's coming. Let, Let me not stop it and hold it, detain it, like he says. Let me not get angry when it hasn't come to me. But let me just... Let me just wait till it's here. And not worry about it. There's a lot of things that I I think are long-term goals of mine, ambitions... Money is obviously one. I mean, it's just a natural part of, of living in society. You always want, you know, more of this, more of that, and more, uh, you know, more safety and security combined with more luxury and ease. Uh, at least that's what your mind tells you you're going to get with more money. And as we all know, it doesn't really pan out that way. You get the money, and suddenly. You're not as satisfied. You get the pickup truck, get the RV, and either you are on to the next thing. You know, you want, you know, I got the two door, I should have gotten the four door. Or you're on to the next, you know, desire. Now I need a house with a, you know, rotunda. rotunda. I need a house with a pool. I need more, bigger, better. And I'm not saying anything, any, anything unusual. This is obviously cliches It's in a thousand different pop songs. Don't be materialistic. But what I think is cool about this passage is it's not just what is typical out there is sort of like a judgment about how we constantly want more and and how we're materialistic and materially minded and there's a sort of a yeah, a judgment about that out there which may not really help us um, figure out how better to act and so this is actually I feel you know yeah again there's lots of songs lots of books there's lots of articles about don't be materialistic but this is actually giving us some clues on what to do instead and that's what's powerful about it I think imagine you're at the banquet just relax just just chill can you practice that easier said than done yes but at least The desire, or I should say the intent to live up to something like that is going to get you closer to accomplishing that goal. So what I mean by that is, even though it's easy to say, just be chill, don't reach and grasp for the things that you want as much in life, it's not easy to do. And it may be challenging, it may be difficult, but it's better to at least try than to not, right? You're going to get farther by trying. And that's what is meant by practicing. Practicing this every day. Can we practice this attitude of just letting go, relaxing? And this would be very parallel to the teachings of the Tao, the Tao Te Ching. And if you've read the Tao, it Follows the same, sort of, these same precepts of simply standing back and letting. I would say that keyword of letting, letting things be the way they are. Um, Do by not doing, a bit of paradox there. You can get a lot done by by not doing. You can see how this sometimes happens in life where there's a, a temptation to intervene in a problem or something like that, or a situation. And then sometimes if you just wait long enough without even doing anything about it, it sort of resolves itself and, oh, nice, worked out. That's happened many times with me. And that's that doing by not doing. It's, it can be effective. Not always the case. Sometimes you do have to take the action, and so you you do so though with ease. And I think that also, in you know, with this whole banquet idea, there's there's got to be a certain level of faith or trust in something higher than yourself, maybe, or just a trust in the order of the universe that you know what that plate is going to come to me when it when it's, when it's ready to come to me. I don't have to worry about it so much. I don't have to demand or, you know, hit my, yeah, you know, hit my hand on the table. I can just wait patiently. So it's a it's a great teaching, and something that I uh, will be working on, especially with that pickup truck. I also want to bring up another passage from Seneca. So it's interesting, you have this sort of contrast between Epictetus and Seneca, very different both Stoic but very different um, backgrounds, I should say. You have um, Epictetus who was born a slave. And forgive me that I don't remember the particulars. I want to say that he. Uh, was either f- kind of given his freedom by uh, by his master, or he was somehow able to to buy it or something. I'm not sure. I have to. I'd have to look that up. But this is a guy who really understood, um, you know, disempowerment. Uh, I'm sure he was no stranger to poverty and 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 had his bouts of that, but um, eventually became. He strove for instead of material things, he strove for the truth. And uh, followed, found teachers, stoic philosophers, and 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 eventually became one himself, became a philosopher, and became a teacher. And so you have that contrasted to Seneca, who was also very extraordinarily wise, but you're you're seeing somebody who, you know, was very privileged. And so it's interesting to kind of see them come to try to shoot for the same goal, but one is coming from a lot of experience of not having... Of being the servant, being the the slave of someone else, and, and not having that that freedom, um, at least for a long time, and then you have the other person, Seneca, who's grew up with it. You know, one of the wealthiest people in in Rome. Uh, and so, even in this passage, he starts the passage interestingly talking about, um, "I've just returned from a ride in my litter." and so litter spelled the same way as cat litter um, you know it's basically a, a bunch of people carrying you around and you're, you're basically on a little bed and they've got you hoisted up on their shoulders it could have also been animals it doesn't really specify here so we can either imagine you know whatever you'd like imagine animals or imagine uh, some folks probably some some uh, strong guys hoisting him up above their shoulders. And and here he is, this rich, wealthy guy. And he even complains about it. He says, you know, to be carried for any length of time is hard work, perhaps all the more so because it is unnatural exercise. For nature gave us legs in which to do our own walking and eyes to do our own seeing. Our luxuries have condemned us to weakness. So I think that's you know <laughs> we have ceased to be able to do that which we have long declined to do so you know let's let's break this down first of all there's the, gonna be the bias our bias towards or against him right we're probably more you know naturally against hearing about someone who's being lifted on lifted up by uh, three or four people on their shoulders and carried around it's not exactly a good look for modern times even the wealthiest you know you don't see bill gates walking around uh, or riding around on on a litter while while people are lifting him up um so we have to kind of look at that and say you know what let's let's reset a little bit because it's easy from the modern perspective to look down upon that but you know if we didn't have cars and machines that are doing this and horses even would it be so surprising to, to hear about a jeff bezos or a Bill Gates being carried around by by three or four guys, no, it wouldn't be surprising. And so it's just there's modern versions of all this, and it's also easy to just go to Epictetus and think, oh, this is the real, you know, this is the man of the people. He's the good guy, and Seneca's the bad guy. But I want to push beyond just those simple kind of dual dual sort of duality thinking in, in terms of that uh, dual thinking of just good and bad. This guy's rich, this guy's poor, Thus, this, the poor guy's good and the, and the rich guy's bad. This is how we think about a lot of things in life. But more importantly, both, again, we're shooting for this middle. Epictetus is, is talking about life as a banquet and being chill. And then even going so far at the end to say, if you if you don't even want the stuff in front of you, you're likely to be more close to the gods. Whatever that means. But obviously someone of great honor and and respectability. And I will say that with Seneca, he's doing a critique on, on luxury. Our luxuries have condemned us to weakness. We have ceased to be able to do that, which we have long declined and said no to, to do. Um, And so my example earlier about air conditioning, you know, I hear the air conditioning going and I'm living in a city, Phoenix, that's 115 throughout the day, often in the summer. And, you know, I, it's really tough for me to think of what, Could I live in this environment without this air conditioning? And I look back at the history of Phoenix and, big surprise, there were people living in the early 1900s in Phoenix through these summers without air conditioning. And did they complain? Maybe. But we don't hear much about it. And were they wearing shorts? (laughs) Good Good chance they were not. That wasn't the style back then. And they made it through. I remember I also lived in Vegas for a while, same idea up there. There was a couple old pictures of old Vegas. I remember a picture of this, of I think 1910 or something, or maybe it was even 18, 1800s. I think it was 1800s. A bar from the 1800s, a bunch of folks staying in front of it in, in Las Vegas. And they were all wearing pants and cowboy get-up. And uh, I'm sure it was hot. And so... we get so comfortable with these luxuries. Um, and it's easy to start to get entitled that we should have them. And I'm, I'm walking around today, earlier, and it's blazingly hot outside, and I'm, and I'm noticing in my head the complainer, the one that is dissatisfied. So, you know, it's easy for me to look at Seneca again and, and think, ah, oh, this guy on his high horse, on his litter. But here I am complaining that complainer in me about how it's too hot. Even inside, it's not cool enough. When I am not actually comparing myself to what it could be like 50 years ago, 100 years ago, um, and how grateful I could be for the gift of this incredible invention, incredible technology, air conditioning. And just like epic sorry, just like Seneca is on this, this, you know, litter, I'll keep calling it, uh, with people holding him up and complaining about how rough it is, or sh- shaking too much. You know, I can I can judge him for that, but I'm doing the same thing when I when I complain about this heat instead of being grateful. I mean, gosh, I'm I'm able to live in a comfortable climate-controlled world inside, while it's 115 outside. It's incredible. So we have, we all have room for gratitude. As he, as Seneca continues this passage, though he he ends up uh, saying, you know, as my habit is." And this is something I, I appreciate that he he talks about a habit of his. It's a good habit. My ha- as my habit is, I began to look about for something there that might be of service to me. And so that's something like what does that mean of service? Basically like what can I learn from this experience? He's, he's again being hoisted around and he's asked to uh, them to keep going. And so his habit is to look for what's the lesson here. My eyes fell upon the villa which had once belonged to Vatya and so, this, so he goes on to talk about how this guy Vatya, he was a, a millionaire and um, he died in his old age. He was feigned for nothing else than his life of leisure. And he was regarded as very lucky only for that reason. So when other people were um, going through troubles and they got into political, political uh, snags and stuff and Um, Maybe they got in trouble with the folks of power. He says, people used to cry out, Oh, Vacha, you alone know how to live. So basically he's just saying that everyone was sort of jealous of this Vacha guy. He was just rich and famous for being rich, not for particularly doing anything useful. But Seneca has a criticism for this guy. But what he knew was how to hide, he says, not how to live. And it makes a great deal of difference whether your life be one of leisure or one of idleness. So I never drove past his country place during Vache's life without saying to myself, here lies Vatya. And then he goes on to describe, in contrast, sort of the value of, of philosophy. But... He says, but my dear Lucius, philosophy is a thing of holiness, something to be worshipped so much so that the very counterfeit pleases. For most people consider that a person is at leisure, who is withdrawn from society, is free from care, self-sufficient, and lives for himself. But these privileges can only be the reward of a wise man. So that's interesting. So... You know, it's sort of, the grass looks greener on the other side. It looks like this guy, Vatya, is living the life. But if if you're not, I should say, if you're not clean within, if you're not practicing, if you're not pure within, I'll say, it can look very relaxing, but it may not be. He says, does he who is a victim of anxiety know how to live for himself? Does he even know how to live at all? For the man who has fled from affairs and from men, who has been banished to seclusion by the unhappiness which is his own which his own desires have brought upon him, who cannot see his neighbor more happy than himself, who through fear has taken to concealment like a frightened and sluggish animal? This person is not living for himself, he is living for his belly, his desires his sleep, his lust. And that is the most shameful thing in the world. So it's a pretty strong commentary on on what, on the difference between true leisure, which I would say genuine leisure, genuine relaxation, and peace, maybe even inner peace, is is really well described earlier as we heard with Epictetus' analogy of the banquet. That's, that's leisure, right? Things are coming your way. Plates are either in front of you or they're not. And you're not worried about it. You're just chill. You don't even care. You are, you are at leisure whether or not your environment is frantic or not. Whether it's calling, you know, tempting you or not. It's a decision. It's, a, it's an energy to be at leisure, not a place. And he's he's mentioning the same thing. You know, here I am in you know, Icónica, passing on the beach this lovely villa where a rich man used to live, and he's saying, you know, there's the environment. looks very relaxing. It, it looks very leisurely, but we all know the truth that he was not relaxed. The millionaire there was not relaxed. Um, he goes in and discusses, he talks about this villa in particular, um, he describes that there are two grottoes, they cost a lot uh, of labor to build, um, one spacious hall made by hand, and, um, there's also a stream running through the, through a grove of plane trees, and, uh, which draws for its supply both on the sea and the lake. So he's describing this beautiful thing, right? But the most convenient thing about the villa, he writes, is the fact that Bay is next door. Now, I don't know if I'm saying that right, B-A-I-A-E. But looking that up, it's almost like a... a kind of a Vegas of the old days. It was a... uh, Let's see, Wikipedia describes it as... um, an ancient Roman town, situated, which was basically like a resort. Um, it was notorious for its hedonistic offerings and the attendant rumors of corruption and scandal. So it was basically, like I say, a little Vegas, little play uh, play place for the rich and and famous back then. And so he built this villa right next to there. So obviously he was enjoying all that this rich man. Um, So it seems that Vatje was no fool when he selected this place as the best in which to spend his leisure when it was already unfruitful and decrepit. The place where one lives, however, can contribute little towards tranquility. He writes, it is the mind which must make everything agreeable to itself. I've seen men despondent in a gay and lovely villa and I've seen them to all appearances full of, business in the midst of solitude for this reason you should not refuse to believe that your life is well placed merely because you are not now in Campania or a beautiful villa why are you not there just let your thoughts travel there even to this place and so i think what, he, what he's really trying to say again is this notion that leisure is a is a decision, it's an energy, it's an intent. And it starts with you. It doesn't require that you move to a tropical island. It doesn't require that you um, quit your job. That's a stressful job. It doesn't require that you buy more more things, buy a massage chair or a... Uh, uh, something else or get more massages that you can afford that's not these are the external kind of decoys of pleasure of leisure and and pleasure they promise lots of relaxation but as he's saying he's seeing people that are in the midst of these leisurely things that are filled with you know, their minds are racing about their business about politics about all this stuff and we find ourselves doing this too right it's a It really has to be a practice. And so I think it starts with being aware of how we are tempted by society, how we're pulled into these desires for a bigger pickup truck or a bigger house or a bigger, bigger, you know, whatever it is, bigger 401k. There's nothing wrong with all these, by the way. Just like the banquet. He didn't say you have to stop eating or else... You won't really find happiness. He just said, wait, wait till it comes. Just chill out. It'll come. You get your you're gonna get your helping. And not only that are you gonna get it, but when you get it, because you are genuinely feeling a true sense of leisure and a true sense of inner peace, the plate of food that you're going to put on your, you know, the the, the portion of that you're gonna put on your plate, and when you start to taste it, is going to taste much more much more bright, much more intense. The flavors will stand out. You'll be focused on them because you'll be present, you'll be in the moment, which is very powerful. Um, Unlike the person who is scarfing uh, down their, you know, mashed potatoes and eyeing the uh, cherry pie and just grasping for it. They're not even focused on their current bite because they're so focused on the dessert that they really desperately need to have. That's not leisure. So I think it's a good example of some good teachings here about we have to decide and create the intent to slow down, to be aware of the, our ego's desire for bigger, better, more, let that, you know, fine, no judgment, but just let's push it aside for a minute and remember, hey, you know, we have it pretty damn good. I have an air conditioning that works. If it were to shut off, I would certainly be more grateful for it. Why don't I just start there? I have so much. I'm so blessed. We, we can always find areas that we're blessed so let's start there. So that's that's all for this time, and I hope you enjoy it. Until next time, have a fantastic week. That's the end of our show. Hopefully you found this discussion interesting. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We have a good time with these discussions. We enjoy them, but they do take a lot of work outside of our normal, everyday responsibilities. So. One thing you can do if you really if you like what you're hearing, if you want to hear more of it, you want us to keep doing this, go into your podcast app, whether that be Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you like to use, click on that rate and review link or button and leave us a positive review. Leave us what you like about the show and let others know about the show. It really will help spread the word and continues to help us feel motivated to, to keep doing these and putting these out there. So we, we do this just because we love it. We'd really appreciate your support. And if you have any interesting topics you'd like us to cover, send us an email. I'm at kevin at cafetruth.com, and you can reach Steve at steve at cafetruth.com. Thanks so much.